Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 335 of the Ask the Coach show, where Ping Skills answers your table tennis questions. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Super Coach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Oh, thank you, Jeffrey. And what show number is this one? 335, is it? 335. Surely that's a lucky number. Yeah, de- definitely. Well, it can't be any less lucky than 333. <laughs> And did 334 go okay? Eh, no, not so well. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we're getting better. We, we're getting better. Yeah, we, we are getting better. And you know what, um, Alois, I'd like to do first, I'm going to mix up this show. Oh, my goodness. Really? I would like to hear on this day first. I, uh, you know why? Did, <laughs> did you take a look at my notes? <laughs> Maybe. On this day... 20 years ago was the Sydney Olympics and uh, yeah and Jeffrey Plum was playing at the Sydney Olympics 20 years ago so uh, so woohoo big uh, big shout out to Jeff Plum if anyone knows him um, so uh, yeah playing with Brett Clark they beat the uh, the famous Arado brothers from Cuba in the in the first qualification match and I didn't then, know this but uh, David Smythe, who was Mark Smythe's father, who yep. Mark Smythe also played at the Olympics then, he came up to me and said that Brett Knight were the first Australian uh, pair to win a game, uh, a doubles match at the Olympics. There you go. And certainly you were. So uh, so that's very impressive. So so good job. Uh, good job, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, and then and then. I mean, in your in your other two matches at the Olympics, you had some pretty tough opposition. You played um, Gruich and uh, Lupulescu from uh, uh, from uh, Croatia. Yep. At at that stage, and uh, that that was a pretty that was a pretty big team to play. I mean, Lupulescu was world doubles champion, and uh, and Gruich is pretty good. And then <laughs> then the other match you played uh, some. Um, some upstarts, Timo Boll and Jörg Roskoff from I Germany. Know. So Jörg Roskoff, he was doubles champion as well. Yep, yeah, uh, he, and he, he won the world doubles in '89, I think, with yeah. uh, Stefan Fetzner, was it? Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, so yeah, well, uh, but you know, playing at the Olympics, you're not, not going to get too many easy matches. So, no, uh, and it was it was our home crowd, Alois, and. Um, we um, when we were playing Roscoff and Bowl, we got introduced and the crowd went wild. It's going yay! And I look over and and uh, they're just smiling at each other, going, "We are just gonna beat these guys so easily." <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, but no, it would have would have been amazing to play in front of a home crowd at an Olympics. I mean, not too many people uh, ever get that sort of opportunity. I mean, not too many people get a, an opportunity or are good enough to play at an Olympics, but then to have one on your home soil yeah. and, and, and to have that sort of uh, introduction would have been amazing, Jeff. It was. It was, yeah, and very tell, special. And tell us a little bit about the opening ceremony too while we're here because, uh, you know, I think I think that might have also been pretty special. Yeah, the opening ceremony was. We were all um, – because they have all the, you know, the hoopla and the show beforehand and then the athletes march in at the end, so – we were all sitting in a stadium next to the main stadium, waiting for a whole time while all the all the show was going on. And then we finally got uh, 
to walk into the stadium and yeah, just walking into like you know, over a hundred thousand people all cheering for you. Um, yeah, really, really good time. Well, yeah, that that would have been amazing. So yeah, wow, yeah, so, amazing atmosphere. So can you believe that was twenty years ago, Jeff? So no, I cannot believe it. That is, um, that yeah. seems like yeah, seems like <laughs> not that long ago. But then another way, it seems like another lifetime ago as well yeah a different a different stage in your life right yeah i think so yeah and and you know in those days you used to play games up to 21 (laughs) (laughs) in fact it was one of the last tournaments yeah you used to be able to hide your serve and yeah those good old days weren't they yeah and i was actually just because there's like a lot of talk about this i was going back through photos and um you know, showing some of my kids and and um, some of their friends on a, like a Zoom call, and I had to explain to them about photos. Like, there wasn't like a digital <laughs> photos back then. You had film, and you had to take the photo, and you wouldn't see what it looked like until you took it to the store and waited like a day for them to process it. <laughs> yeah, uh, those the... your photo you took for like two weeks or longer. That's right. Those were the good old days, you know, playing up to 21, waiting for your photos. It's all, it's all great times. Great oh, times we've great left times. behind. And then, Alois, yeah. just after the Olympics, 20 years yeah. ago, I got married, you know? That, yes. So that was oh, another month away or so? Not even. No, less than a month. Yeah, less than a month. Yeah, after it. Yeah, And our wedding, you know, it was so beautiful, Alois. Even the cake was in tears. <laughs> oh, Jeff, is, is that is that your joke of the day? It's one of them. It's, oh my goodness, there's more. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. So there you go. So did you just do, did you just get married after the Olympics so that you'd remember when your wedding anniversary was? Um, kind of, but you know what I, I actually did. I got married the day after my birthday. Yes. So that's that even a, easier to remember. That's a very good tactic, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're never going to forget your own birthday, right? And then, you know, <laughs> oh, well, oh, that's right. And then tomorrow's my anniversary. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. My, 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 my parents actually got married on uh, my dad's birthday, actually on the day. So that I think he went one better. He did. That's that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dummy. <laughs> yep. That's, that's very good. Well, that's that's some nice reminiscing from 20 years ago, Jeff. Um, it is. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it must be must be pretty special to be able to say for the rest of your life that you ha- you are an Olympian and you've been able to represent your country at an Olympics. But but as I said, like. To do that on uh, on home soil must be, uh, you know, I think you're you're one of the very very few lucky people um, ever to ever to play this sport. Yeah, yeah, I certainly feel lucky about that. That indeed, yeah, very special. Just having all that support and that the whole time was just, yeah, such a great atmosphere. Um, that's why they said it was the best Olympic Games ever because you know all the volunteers were helping out, um, and it just seemed like a happy happy time and place. Yeah, yeah, I think it really changed the the face of Olympics, didn't it? With with all the with all the volunteers and the the uh, yeah the people around and yeah and and now I mean if you go to Sydney Olympic Park, you'll be able to sit, find Jeff's name on a pole outside 
Sydney Olympic Park. Yes. Um, But uh, I guess the other thing that uh, that I saw, so my parents were volunteers at the at the Sydney Olympics, and they've got all the volunteers' names on a on poles outside Sydney Olympic Park as well. So. And um, there were so many, weren't they? Because they've got the like the athletes, but then the volunteers is just uh, so yeah. many. It was exactly. um, it really, yeah. yeah. And you listen to people now and just say how wonderful all the volunteers were at that time, and how you know they really made it um, great for all the spectators. Um, yes. So Indeed. yeah, that was a huge, huge part of huge part of it. Indeed. Well, there you go. Reminiscing down memory lane. Games up to twenty one. <laughs> Have we got have, have we got anything uh, current, Jeff? Uh, anything current on this day? Oh, no, not really. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. Just great to reminisce. You know what I was thinking though? Um, yep. I watched the other day this documentary. Now, if you're not in Australia, I don't know if you're gonna know about this, but Freeman oh. it was called. It was on yes. ABC here. Unbelievably good documentary to watch. So see, if it's on Kathy Freeman and. Um, her, she was under so much pressure, but she just handled it beautifully. Um, she'd like never won gold at the Olympics, but she'd like been the four years prior, she'd basically won every single race. And so there was so much pressure on her. And then, um, she finally won the gold. I mean, it ruined the story, but (laughs) at the end of the race, she kind of just sat down and the whole crowd was just cheering and going wild and she was just kind of looked just like exhausted and relieved and um did you did you get there on that night well on that night was the final of the men's table tennis so we were watching uh-huh. Colin Huey beat Waldner in wow. five sets but we did watch it on the TV wow there you go that's yes. that's pretty special too Colin yes. and Waldner indeed yeah, it there was. You go. Mm. It was. All right. Well, Alois. Yep. Just, just moving on from this. Just one other little piece of advice for you. Yes. Never buy anything with Velcro. It's a total ripoff. See so that now? Now you, I, I'm, I am, I'm actually quite pleased because you're getting back to your normal level of jokes. <laughs> The, the 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 wedding cake one was almost funny, and last last week I think you actually cracked a funny joke that was yeah. Oh dear, yes. Well, hopefully the world's getting back to normal if that's the case. Well, maybe. Maybe maybe, maybe the level of normalness of the world's tied to the level of my jokes. Yeah, could well, geez, <laughs> we're back. We're going to be back to some pretty ordinary jokes. Okay, <laughs> good work. Oh dear. All uh, right, well. Alice, do you have a a trill, a tip and drill of the week for people? Yeah, well, actually, it, it's purely a tip of the week this week. Good. Um, it's a better yeah, name no, anyway. No, 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 no drill involved. So my tip of the week this week, it's, it's a bit, you know, a bit deep and philosophical. But what I want you to do is to 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 maybe just sit down and work out for yourself what really drives you to play and improve at this game. So, um, you know, and, and, and there's lots of, lots of things that, um, drive us to, um, to tackle a skill or to, you know, to try and improve things. But I think until you really understand why you're doing it, um, 
then it, you know if when things start to get tough, I think then you start you you know you you can waver if you're not really sure of why you're there and and what you, what you're doing uh, what you're doing you know so you know if um, if you're in a a tough situation you have a loss you know and then and then you know for five weeks you go, oh you know oh, I, had, I lost that match but if you've got something clear in your mind about what you're doing and why you're doing it I think it makes um, those times a little bit easier mm. and uh, and helps you get through those so. Um, yeah, as I said, a bit deep and meaningful this week, but um, yeah, see if you can you know, just spend a little bit of time, and it mightn't mightn't be you know you don't have to sit down for a a, a week at the top of a mountain and contemplate this, you know, just <laughs> um, just in in some spare time, sit and have a little bit of a think about you know what really motivates you and drives you to play and improve your table tennis. Interesting. So so what's the answer? There is no answer. I think <laughs> everyone everyone is completely different. But um, there has to be an answer. <laughs> coming, that's the maths teacher in you coming out, Jeffrey. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there is an answer for each person, but okay, the answer is not the same for each person. There you go. So it might not be forty three. Yeah, <laughs> or forty two. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. And and if you if you have some thoughts, um, yeah, let us know. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Now this mindfulness type of thing and thinking about things is really, you know, um, important these days, I guess, and it yeah. helps a lot of people. Yeah. When I was, it wasn't big when I was back in um, um, primary school or just starting high school. But I rem- your just your story about sitting on a mountaintop, you're not having to do that, reminded me, I don't know, it's really strange how your memory works, isn't it? But I was at cricket training and one of my friends was just like sitting in the middle of the over. We were all in the nets, sort of bowling and stuff. And he was in the middle of the over just sitting down with his legs crossed. And it was a bit strange. So I walked up to him. I'm like, are you all right? And he's like, yes, I'm just contemplating. <laughs> I don't even know what the word meant, but that guy, I can't remember his name, but he was way ahead of his time. Exactly. He's probably he's probably two I see to the Dalai Lama now. Exactly, probably. Yeah. Yes. All right, well, good tip. I like it. I like it, especially in these times. Good to think about these things. There you go. All right. Um, should we move on to some questions? Sure, that's a good idea. All right, let's do it. The important part of the show. No, oh, no. Well, we, we haven't got to the OMG facts yet, but anyway. <laughs> True. All right. First up, question from Jason. He wants to know, what is table tennis fishing exactly? Yeah. So, good question, Jason. So, what you have to do is you've got to get a long piece of uh, stick. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so, yeah, f- fishing in table tennis, it's a funny word, isn't it? But it's basically a when you're in a defensive position and you're playing at a, a low lob or a high topspin. It's somewhere in between those two types of strokes. So mm. we all know what a lob is. You know, you, you toss the ball up really high. Um, and we know what a topspin is. So the fishing is basically a bit of a, um, a, a comp, 
uh, well, I don't know the word, um, in between in between those two things. So it's a it's like a low flying lob, but you've got lots of topspin on the ball. And basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to um, drive your opponent away from the table um, and not allow them to play uh, too strong a, a, a stroke from that position. Um, so if you if you lob it, you know you you're giving them plenty of time and they can still smash that next ball. But with a fishing type stroke, because it's got that top spin on it, um, so it often comes at an awkward height for them and makes it difficult for them to to smash it. And it also makes it difficult for them to play a strong top spin stroke on it as well. So yeah, so that's what fishing is. Lots of fun um, mm. if you can uh, if you can get it done. Um, my, I think Michael Mays. Uh, the Danish player was probably my favourite player to watch uh, with fishing. But, uh, but then the other the other gun was the other one was um, Mikhail Appelgren from Sweden as well. So uh, so he he used to he he earned a living out of uh, fishing basically. He used to get back there and just uh, low flying lob, and that was against you know the best players in the world, um, both uh, Appelgren and Mays. And uh, yeah, amazing to see there the way that they could operate from from back there. Yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of control, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it takes a lot of control, and I think you really need to have uh, a lot of awareness and knack of where your opponent is going to play that ball. Um, you know, if you if you watch both Appleton and Mays, uh, they look like they almost move into position before the uh, the their opponent has hit the ball. You know, they're they're really working the angles. They they know. Um, roughly, you know, where their opponent can play the ball and they're basically parking themselves in the middle of that area and then uh, and then able to just really, you know, rip that ball with a lot of topspin um, from back there. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, all right, so, yeah, if you've never tried it before, give it a go. It's, yeah, like Alice is explaining, yeah, getting back kind of mixed between lob and a topspin. Um, yeah, have a go. It's great fun. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Jason. All right, next up is one from Ardak, who says, Hi, Coach. In our mini club, we organize um, amateur tournaments every week. We normally have about 10 players, and we play everyone. Everyone plays each other. So how do you rank players in this situation? Yeah, so, um, so Ardak was having a look at... Um, a recent the Chinese top 12 or the the marvelous 12 tournament and he was a bit confused by the results um, and you know the rankings from the uh, from the group tournament um, there so in that marvelous 12 all 12 players play each other um, so Ardak, this comes down to just the rules of the ITTF basically to start off with so so what it is is first they work it out who's won the most matches or the or the most pool points they call it so you get um so you get you know two points for a um a win uh or one point for a loss and zero points for a forfeit so if you've won more matches than the next person you're going to be ranked ahead of them in general you know, as long as you haven't forfeited any matches um, the next thing, though, and the, the tricky part comes with when two players have both won the same number of matches. Mm. So so then it doesn't go down to um, games. It goes down to the results between 
those two players. So if um, Jeff and I were playing in the Marvelous 12, and even if we, um, uh, you know, Jeff might have, uh, you know, had a really good win against the num- against Fan Zendong, um, whatever, <laughs> um, that really doesn't count. If we've had the same number of wins and Jeff beats me, then he is ranked higher than I am. Um, now, it also gets tricky. So sometimes three players can all have the same number of wins. So then it only counts on the matches between those three players. So all the other matches that those three players uh, have played are discarded for the purpose of this countback. And you only look at the matches between those three players. So if um, if Jeff um, and... Uh, uh, and I and you were playing in a competition and you beat both Jeff and I um, and we were all tied on um, the same number of wins, then you'd be ranked higher than Jeff or I. And then if Jeff beat me, then Jeff would be next and then I'd be third. So that's that's how they work it out. Um, it, it can happen that then in that, in that situation of three players, so – all three of us have beaten each other. So you beat me, I beat Jeff, and Jeff beat you. Um, so then you go back to games, and then you go back to points as well. So, yeah, so it's it sounds a bit complex, but as long as you remember that um, f- the first up is you look at how many wins each player's had. If there's a tie between two players on the number of wins they've had, then it goes to... Um, just the matches between the players that are tied. Um, if you have a look at, um, there's a the question on uh, the Ask the Coach page, and it's also lists the ITTF rule there, and it's got the example of the marvelous twelve tournament. So you can have a look at that, and you um, you'll be able to work out and work through it a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's um, that's good, um, and. I think it kind of makes sense that if two people are on the same points that you only count the matches that they were involved in or, or even two or more. I think that's a, I think that's a good rule. I like it. Yeah. I think it stops any, you know, any bias or corruption as well, you know, because, um, because yeah, if, uh, if it's only the matches between the, the players that are involved that counts, then, then uh, yeah, I think, you know, you yeah. can't be too hard done by. That's good. I I once wrote some software alloys for like a tournament situation, kind of like this, but it was for like a handicap competition where you might get a head start if you play against someone better than you or you'll give away a head start if you're playing against someone mm-hmm. weaker than you. Mm-hmm. And it was like same thing. It was a group situation and then went into a round robin. And when I was writing the software, I was like, oh, yeah, you've got to do check. Yeah, if they've whoever's won the most goes through. Otherwise... Um, it'll be to whoever's won the most points or something. And then it was like, what if that's tied and do this? And what if that's tied? And then I was like, oh, if it gets down to this, it'll never, ever happen. But I'll just take it on alphabetical order of their name. <laughs> and then one time in it was it was for Coburg Table Tennis Club, the handicap competition. This group happened and this exact situation happened and it came down to this and the person that was like had the name Adam went through <laughs> and, and the 
one of the kids came up to me and asked me that why he went through instead of him because they were all on the same points and same everything. <laughs> And I didn't yeah. want to tell him that it was because Adam, his name was Adam. So I just said, oh, in that situation, the computer just picks randomly. <laughs> well, it does, sort of. <laughs> just picks randomly the person with the highest or the, the first alphabetical name. Yeah. So that means that I would have beaten you, Jeff. That's a Correct. Good I like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yes. Anyway, um, so, yes, yeah, so you should think about these things before you just go and program them. Uh, <laughs> yes. Or right. if you're running a tournament, yes, always think about these things. That's exactly. Because right. it was a weekly tournament. What are the chances of that happening? Mm. Well, quite oh. high. Anyway, all right. Um, next question. Thank you for that one, Ardak. That was a good one. Next question is from Peter, who says, Hi, Alois. In the last few years, I've always been playing with inverted rubber on both sides, but now I want to try long pimples on the backhand side because I have so much trouble receiving heavy backspin with my inverted rubber. Mm. So what do you think? Is it worth, um, Peter, trying this? And what are some of the advantages or disadvantages of using long pimples? Yeah. So I think, Peter, if you, if the thought's in your mind to, to try it, I would I would try it um, because there's no harm in trying the rubber for, you know, uh, two or three weeks. Just, um, just see if the rubber suits you because it's not only the return of serve, then you've got to play within the rally as well, obviously. Um, so, but until you try it, you're not going to, um, really, uh, have the feel of, of what it feels like. And it's also difficult to tell how the rest of the game is going to play out with the long pimple rubber. So, uh, give it a try, but I think if it's only about the return of serve, my, my gut feel is that it would be better to try to understand better the spin or try to understand better the angle of your of, of your bat that you need to be able to um, to to impart the the right amount of uh, spin on the on the ball back to the mm. other player and that sort of thing so so I think you know my and I guess because you know coming from the coaching side that's my first thought is to just try to get better at that skill of what you're trying to do rather than changing the rubber. Because I think changing the rubber, you know, the the, the a disadvantage of the long pimple rubber is that you can't generate your own spin with it. Um, and so if you're, if they're serving to you with heavy backspin and you're returning it with the long pimples now, it's going to go back with a little bit of top on it. And it's often a fairly easy ball for the server to attack and make a third ball off as well so you've got to take that in consideration but peter i I always say in these situations it's best to just try it you know just um, try it out because it might suit your game perfectly and it might be something that you really relate to well so you know why not give it yeah but yeah and and would you recommend like a minimum sort of time for giving it a go yeah, so I mean, I'd say two weeks, but I you, you probably really need even a little bit longer, and you need to use it in a practice situation and a match situation as well. Um, mm. You know, like they're often very different uh, fields and situations, and and that's why you know you probably need a few weeks before you're going to get some real gameplay in or or even some competitions um, 
that you can enter into. So, uh, yeah, give, give it a little bit of time. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. And I was just thinking there, when you were saying about getting better at the skill, um, Peter was saying he's got a lot of people in his club who, who do play with, you know, those strong backspin serves. So one good idea if you want to work on the skill is just see if you can get one of them to come down and, like, serve that heavy backspin serve to you for, like, five minutes in a row and just try and re- keep returning those serves. I think often with serves it's difficult because people are mixing up the different types of serves and it's hard to tell what spins on it. But if you could get them just to serve that same exact serve just over and over and over, um, maybe that's a good way you could actually practice getting better at that skill. Yeah, that's right. So the first the first thing is you have to understand what you need to do to the ball. But then once you get the feel of it, then you can start to get them to mix up the serves a little bit. You know, even if it's just changing the spin or just changing the position of where they're serving to or sometimes serving the backspin serve and sometimes serving a fast serve to you, um, just so you're getting a little bit closer to that game type situation. But yeah, as Jeff said, the base is that you need to understand you know, the, the angle that you need to impart with your bat as well to uh, to get the ball back. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, great question, Peter, and hopefully that helps you out. And if you do switch to those long pimples, good luck and let us know um, how it turns out. All right, next up is a question from Anne, who says, I love my seniors' morning of table tennis, but Anne has come from a tennis background where the doubles movement is – a lot easier and you're not that close to each other. And the other day she tripped over her partner's feet and fell backwards and hit her head. And it caused a lot of people in the club to talk about this, but sadly not that person, about how you got to move and not get in each other's way. And there's a couple of people that they play with that just don't move and they kind of stand right in the middle of the table. And one person said, it's like trying to go around a concrete pole. So, <laughs> Do you have any tips, Alois, on how um, people can get better at this movement in doubles? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally, Anne, um, you want to be trying to rotate around each other and move, you know, really quickly, um, almost in a circular motion. So the the hitter is at the front, um, the other person circles around the hitter and then moves uh, moves back in and around and back to the front of the table uh, to play the next ball. That sounds really good, but in in theory, the only problem is that that takes a lot of effort and it also takes a lot of fast movement. So, you know, you're talking about a senior's morning. Um, So, I mean, a lot of players aren't going to be um, inclined to be moving that fast. So I think it's then to try to find a better strategy of how to move. And for me, the movement um, in a V-type pattern is probably easier. So now if you're playing with your partner, you just move back into the side, to one side, and they move back and to the other side of the table so that you're, you're, uh, that movement forms a basic V-type pattern. So your movement forms one arm of the V, and your partner's movement forms the other arm of the V. Um, so that way you're not, uh, you don't have to move around each other. You've almost got, you know, half the table each and you're trying to come in uh, quickly into into position to, to get back. But the important thing is that both players do need to, need to move a little bit 
out of the way and out of that central position so that you can give the the next hitter the option to hit that uh, hit that ball and, and space to hit that ball as well. Yeah. And I think these are really good um, like basic ideas, aren't they? How to move either that circle approach or that V that you can kind of agree on. But you still need to be a little bit flexible because every now and again you're going to get this extra wide ball and you're going to have to take that extra step and you might not be able to recover quite as well. So you have to be a little bit flexible in those situations or or sometimes you just have to say too good to the opponents. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes yeah, you'll swap you'll swap arms of the V basically with your partner. So so you might come in and then go out to the right rather than go into the left because that's the way you're moving and that's when your partner needs to be able to be uh, you know adapt enough and get get into position behind you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it is it is a difficult game, isn't it? Like to think about all that that movement. And would you ever consider um, uh, placing the ball differently so it would be easier for your opponent to get to the next one, or should you really be worried about where your opponents are rather yeah. than where you are? Yeah. So it, it it is quite important when you're when you're hitting the ball to to consider your partner. So. For example, if I'm standing on the left of the table, if I hit it cross court, then my partner is now exposed because um, if they hit it back cross court, it's going to go back to me and now I've got to get right out of the way and my partner's got to move in. So often as a general idea, hitting the ball down the line or straight um, is a little bit easier because then the natural cross court ball comes goes to your partner. So that's uh, another little idea that you can have a think about with um, with doubles as well. Mm, we've got a, yeah, we've got a double strategy um, video that we can put a link in the show notes to, and you can have a look through that double strategy um, video as well, Anne, and um, and hopefully get some more ideas and tips on on moving and and just just basic playing doubles. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Great question, Anne. Um, and hopefully those tips help you out. But if not, take a look at that video as well. And um, yeah, keep talking about it and keep trying different things and see what works. All right. Um, there you go, Alois. Do you know what um, that means now? Oh, is it is it OMG time? Not yet. It's oh. comment of the week time. Oh, how could I forget comment of the week? Exactly. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah, comment of the week this week um, was on our uh, video that we released last week. I'm struggling to forget what it was, uh, struggling to remember what it was. But, um, yeah, so it was a comment um, about um, Chinese world champions and, and the last time that uh, that there wasn't a, a Chinese player in the final of the men's singles. And uh, he talked about, you know, Werner Schlager was the last non-Chinese person to win the World Championship finals. So I thought it'd be, I'd, I'd be expecting Schlager against a Chinese player in the finals. Turns out it wasn't a Chinese player. It was the legendary chopper Ju Si Hyuk. What a surprise. I always thought choppers don't make it very far in the top level because it's difficult to defend top level players' attacks. Pretty impressive effort by Ju Si Hyuk, do you think? Well, I certainly do think. Yeah, that was a. I was lucky enough to be at that World Championships. I I didn't stay till the uh, the final, so I actually didn't see the final match. But I saw Juice Hyuk 
um, during the event and 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 Schlager, and it was amazing run by Schlager um, during that during that event as well. So yeah, it was super super world championships in Paris. There you go. And interesting, isn't it? No Chinese player in the final at all. No, that's right. And uh, and a chopper. Yeah. And a and a chopper. Yeah, a non-Chinese chopper. I wonder when that'll happen next. Yeah, I know. It would be good to see another chopper just, you know, come back and make the final once um, in the near future. That would be great, I reckon. I love watching choppers. Yeah, they're really entertaining. Yeah. To watch, so, yeah, that would be good. All right. Well, there you go. Um, great comment. All right. So, it is now OMG oh, time. Yes. Okay, uh, bring it on. All right, here we go. The first Rolls-Royce marketed in 1906, sold for about $784. Nowadays, the equivalent would be $295,000. Wow. Is that like, is that equivalent dollars or the equivalent car would sell for $295,000? Equivalent dollars. Equivalent dollars, $784. Well, like, that's that's how I interpreted it, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to get your OMG facts straight, <laughs> Jeff, before you start. Oh, I think you Yeah, okay. okay. I will. The hairdryer was yep. the offspring of two unrelated inventions. Right. The vacuum cleaner and the blender. The blender? <laughs> Fact. The blender? You don't, want, yep. you, don't, you don't want the blender anywhere near your hair. <laughs> or the vacuum cleaner for that matter. <laughs> It was the offspring of those two unrelated inventions. There you go. Uh, Maybe an engineer can can let us know exactly why, but yeah. (laughs) Maybe. And the kitchen dishwasher was invented by a socialite politician's wife who was fed up with servants breaking her expensive dishes. There you go. You can't (laughs) have your servants breaking your dishes. But you know what the problem with dishwashers is? What's that, Jeff? They don't work. Uh, why? Why? <laughs> if you like, you have your cereal, right? And yep. you leave it around, and the wheat bix hardens on there. There's, there's your, the there's your first problem. That's your problem, not the dishwasher. Yes, and I, I agree. And I just every day I keep telling my family, if you don't <laughs> rinse them off, it's not going to work, and it drives me crazy. You know what drives me crazy about dishwashers? What? My family don't put things in the right spot in the dishwashers. <laughs> Do you go and rearrange it totally? Every day, every time. Why or, does it have to be in the right spot? Oh, uh, just because otherwise I, I, yeah, you know, it just I, I start shaking a little bit. Yeah, things just have to be in the right spot. I mean, so, like you've got to you've got to line up all the little plates, all the big plates, and but then the little plates, you know, like if you've got a few different versions of the little plates, they've got to all be next to each other. So you can't and, have a big plate, a little plate, then a big plate. Of course not. No, <laughs> don't don't be so silly. You know what the sad thing is? I actually agree with you, but I'm not quite to your uh, level where I have to rearrange it. I may occasionally rearrange it, but I, yeah, sometimes I'll just let it go. No, 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 no. Uh, you've got to rearrange them, Jeff. <laughs> so I'll just let it go because it doesn't work anyway because I haven't rinsed them anyway. So <laughs> and, uh, they just don't get it. They're like, what's the point of rinsing it first 
isn't that the dishwasher's job? <laughs> and they're kind of right. Like if you've got to rinse it, you may as well almost just wash it and then it's done. You don't need the dishwasher at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't I, know. I, I, that social light was onto something, but it's just not quite right. I'm not happy with the whole dishwasher situation. Yeah, I can't remember. There was a comedian that, that once said, you know, have a listen. It's in the name. It's dishwasher, so you don't you shouldn't rinse them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but but he's wrong because then it doesn't actually it's not in the name because otherwise you just call it a dish waterer. <laughs> A dish wetter. <laughs> a dish wetter. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Oh, these uh, are getting better. Go, yeah. You got any more? Uh, just, just the last one, which is the temperature of a typical lightning bolt can reach fifty thousand degrees Fahrenheit, five times greater than the sun's surface. How do they know? They measure it. How? <laughs> With instrumentation. <laughs> it's an OMG fact. What are you questioning this for? <laughs> Give Seriously. me that number again. How, how hot? How hot? Fifty thousand degrees Fahrenheit. Exactly. Five times greater than the sun's surface. Like, I bet you it's not exactly fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you're marketing to the public, you just use big round numbers. <laughs> so, is that five times hotter than this sun. Five times greater than the sun's surface temperature. Wow, there you go. That's yep. that's that's a that's a good fact if it's a fact. It is. Like now it. this isn't an OMG fact. This is just one of my own. Right. But if, if you've got a statistic, people are are 93% more likely to believe you if you chuck in a percentage a statistic in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad by you. See, that should have been your joke of the day. <laughs> Maybe, but you know, it's context, isn't it? You can't just chuck that in there, you know? So that's why I save those really good ones up the front. You can use them anywhere. You don't need context. You can just throw them straight in. You certainly can throw them straight, <laughs> straight in the bin. <laughs> See, context. <laughs> that's what's important. Uh, there you go. See? <laughs> All right. Oh. Well... Thank you, everyone, for listening. Make sure you go to pinkskills.com. That's where you'll find this great podcast, plus on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but head to pinkskills.com. Check out all our videos there. Thank you so much for listening. And, of course, thank you, Alloys, for all your wisdom. And thank you, Jeff. And uh, remember, 20 years ago was a very special time for Jeff playing at the Sydney Olympics 2000. Seems like another life. All right, thanks everyone. Catch you next time. Bye.